Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of the Monarch Ministries podcast. Today we've got um, a good old friend of mine, my, my uncle Jeremy, who, who's laughing at me now for calling him good old friend, that's great. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of people who've been influential in, in teaching me things that I know about scripture and, and, and showing me things um, and, and giving me resources to find on, on researching things, especially historically and and you know, really understanding how to how to view the Bible in a historical context, and just a, been a great influence on my life as a whole. Um, he's he's been just absolutely wonderful for me. So very happy to have him on. How you doing, Uncle Jeremy? I'm doing very well. Thank you for padding my intro. That was very kind of you. Oh, I I do like to pad the intro. So, <clears throat> you know, based on the the conversation we had a couple weeks ago, when I asked you to come on, um, I decided that a good topic of conversation day was to talk about. Um, the culture as a whole and what our responsibility is as Christians in the culture as a whole. So, you know, biblical Christianity is incredibly simple. Jesus um, says himself that the whole law hangs on the commandments to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. However, these concepts are quickly becoming rejected by our culture. In the last 20, 30 years, we've seen increasingly rapid push to remove God from any and all aspects of public life, from the phrase, one nation under God, often being removed from the Pledge of Allegiance to stories of parents not even allowing their children to befriend Christians unless they become believers. More and more we see our culture shift from the moral standards defined by Scripture to a more humanistic and individualistic construct of morality um, that's simply abiblical, amoral. You and I, I, I believe, share similar, similar opinions um, on, you know, that, that the political and, and cultural leanings of this country are not to be at the forefront of our thoughts because we're, we're citizens of heaven, not citizens of America or this earth. Um, but the logic I want to discuss with you today is, is the question of what our responsibility as Bible-believing Christians is in shaping the direction of our culture, whether it be politically, socially, or otherwise. So my first question for you would be, should Christians have any involvement in government whatsoever? So you're ready for me to answer that? I am ready for you to answer that. Okay, so honestly, that's a great question. And for my <clears throat> myself and my former ministry partner, Dylan Hill, who's now a, a pastor up in Pampa, Texas, he and I struggled with this question, continued to struggle with this question, actually. Because with this question, and with the, the comment that you just made, that we are citizens of heaven, and uh, I, I would also say we actually are citizens of America just as much as Paul was a citizen of Rome. And, and Paul did use his citizenship as, as he was being beat, and he asked, is it lawful for you to beat me, a Roman citizen, mm -hmm. before I've had a trial? And that, that worked very well. But <clears throat> in terms of your question, should Christians have any involvement whatsoever in government? So, uh, since we are citizens of heaven and ambassadors for Christ, another way you could frame that question is, should the ambassador to the United States from Russia have anything to do with the American government? Should they serve in the American government? It's, it's that similar type question, in a manner of speaking. And when you, when you think of it in those terms that you are an ambassador, and as an ambassador representing heaven, as an ambassador representing Christ, you could come to the conclusion that we have no business serving in government any more than the ambassador of Russia has business serving in the U.S. government. Now, 
that being said, my friend Dylan, he has fallen to on that side, mm-hmm. and and he he didn't use that argument, but he he did use similar arguments to say we should not and we should not vote and such things as that. So that's on on the one hand. On the other hand, we have Paul being a Roman citizen. We also have a centurion coming to know Christ. The centurion, a Roman soldier in charge of a hundred, uh, a Roman leader in charge of a hundred soldiers. He comes to know Christ. And we're not told in scripture that he was told, now make sure you quit working for Rome. I don't believe we have anywhere in Scripture that says you can't continue to serve in that government once you come to know the Lord. I even think about in the Old Testament, if we go back to the time of Elisha, when Naaman, when Naaman, the, uh, one of the generals in the army of the Assyrians, he became a believer. You remember that? He became yeah. a believer. And in becoming a believer... He said, I'm going to take some of the ground, some of the dirt from here and bring it back with me. And he said, please forgive me if I have to go into these pagan temples back home because I worship the one true God. He was not told, resign your commission. Right. In fact, he was healed. And and of course, just because God heals somebody doesn't mean that they're a believer. I mean, uh, somebody could be healed and then never come to know the Lord. But... The point is, if we can assume that Naaman's a believer, he was not told to resign his commission. The centurion was a believer. He was not told to resign his commission. Now, if you take that argument, you can say a Christian has the right to serve in government, right? Uh, To serve in government. And a a Christian would therefore, one could conclude that, yes, we we could run for office, we can be in places of authority and all of that based on those examples from Scripture. Now, the the other viewpoint, or that's not your only your only question is not can we serve in government? Right. Your question says uh, involvement. Can should Christians have any involvement whatsoever in government? I suppose uh, you mean voting. Mm-hmm. As well. what all, what's, the, what's the full scope? Here I've jumped the gun. <laughs> Maybe you've got a, a, a full scope that you want to explain. No, yeah, like you said, running for office, voting, um, being involved in different political action committees, you know, um, even just going to town halls and things and, and, and being active in, in trying to uh, shape the policy that our leaders have or, or even becoming a leader yourself and um, going forward to establish policy that would be more in line with, with biblical doctrine. Okay. So I, well, I assume correctly. So one thing I'll say is that at seminary, one of my professors, Dr. Michael Spiegel, I spoke to him about this. It's always good to get a, a church leader's position or a seminary, you know, a brain, some intellectual who has done a lot of thinking on these issues. And, uh, I have come to the conclusion that his his idea was you're an American also as a citizen of heaven and America's asked for your opinion. As an American, you have the right to give them your opinion. Therefore, a Christian can vote because they're asking for what your opinion is. And since this is uh, Michael Spiegel, when Dylan and I 
have spoken about it, I say I am more Spiegelian <laughs> in my approach. Uh, Dr. Spiegel doesn't know I've, I've done that to his name, but <clears throat> it's, it's such a nice name. It, it, it fits for it that. It fits. It does. And so I think that a Christian does have a right. Here's where the problem is, though. Uh, maybe you're going to get to this question. With, with a Christian, if, if they're called to it, I believe that a Christian could be called to run for office, but mm -hmm. boy, do they skate a fine line. Because as I am your uncle and you're my nephew, you, you know your dad's point of view. And in the house that we grew up in was extremely patriotic, mm -hmm. very much so, conservative, Republican, patriotic. And the problem was for me, I'd say also, and for your dad, is that there's this line of the feelings we have of patriotism. It's not like it, it is now. We loved America back then because the Cold War, communism was our enemy, and Russia, Russia was the biggest threat to America. And we were God-fearing Americans. We loved the Lord. We'd sing... Uh, God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. We would sing God Bless America, uh, Old In My Country, Tis of Thee. All of these songs were not too different, Kenton, from hymnals we sing at church. So the line gets blurred. And I think the problem that the church always faces is this question of, <clears throat> this question of, where does my patriotism for America end, and or where where's the point where my patriotism for America must have a breaking point because of my the the reality that I'm an ambassador for Christ? So there's a big warning for anyone that were to go into politics, is that you are still not going to be defined by that. You are making good decisions. All nations should know the Lord. Mm -hmm. They should. And they should follow him, for he has revealed himself, though nations know it not. He has revealed himself to them, and they should follow what he says. And therefore, the citizens of that nation, be they Christian in, in any nation, if they are called to that ministry to go and, and fight for God uh, in government, then let them do so, but let them not get swept up in it. Do, do you see how the lines of loyalty could be blurred? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, patriotism as with anything else, it can, um, if you're too involved, if you're too focused, then that, you know, the, the very country you live in can become more of an idol than mm -hmm. a um, mission field, than an opportunity that, yes. we, can, that we can work in and, and grow in. Yes, absolutely. And so, following up, um, if we've established that Christians should have involvement in government and can't have involvement in government, to, yeah. to what degree? <clears throat> I, I think that's going to be based on to the degree of their calling and conviction. You know, it. Th this goes into what is your personal individual life calling? We all have general callings, right? Mm -hmm. We're all to make disciples of the nations. That's, that's what we're all called to do. So that's part of our bread and butter, what we do. But some people will have a specific inclination to go and do that. And you're saying to what extent should should we? Yeah. 
uh, I think you, you could you could do anything. You could be Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, President of the United States, a senator, an ambassador for the U.S. You could do anything. I think any any office, and especially in in areas where morality is more relative, I think it's needed. I think the the absence of the influence with those people. Every place is a mission field. I think what you said is key. Mm-hmm. Every place is a mission field. You can go be, uh, the, where I was raised up spiritually, Chuck Lloyd of the Navigators. The Navigators got their start in the military. And so since the Navigators went into the military and they've had such a, a fruitful, for many decades, a fruitful ministry, um, I have no problem with that. You go into the, go into the military, uh, go into... But it's your mission field. Oh, and that's a tough one, Kenton. You go into the missionary, it's it's your mission field, but they're going to hand you a gun and ask you to kill, not in the name of the Lord, which we're not given the right to do in the New Testament. We're not given that right to do it, but America might call you to go and kill for them, and maybe it's an unjust war. Or maybe it's a war that God is using America to punish some other nation because God does that sort of thing. So there's there's a caution to the extent but I think it's gonna it's gonna be tied to whatever your calling is. You know, every place is a mission field in the government. Then Christians should be there in that mission field. One would hope that God has laid it on people's hearts to do so. Indeed, indeed, absolutely. Um, so with that, you know, where the involvement we have increases, um, we we've talked very broadly, you know, we, we can go into any office, we can go in, into the presidency, Supreme Court justice. What about each individual? Um in, in, in shaping the direction of the culture of this of this nation, is is individual freedom more important to this country than than cultural morality? Okay, so this is a fascinating question, depending on how you mean it. So I wanna mm-hmm. I wanna get a little more context from you. <clears throat> Because you're asking, is it important to this country than cultural morality? Is individual freedom more important to this country than cultural morality? And I, it's, a, it's a good question. So when you're saying individual freedom, you're asking from America's point of view. Yes. Because America, and this is how I'm taking the question. Mm-hmm. Stop me if I'm taking it incorrectly. America is a more pagan nation in their, in their morals and what they're putting forth with their morality. And in terms of individual freedom, while they will speak out of one side of their mouth and say a man has a right to become a woman and a woman has a right to become a man, and if you don't agree with that, then you are wrong. You must accept our new morality or you will be canceled. Or we will find you out and report you. I, it's happening in corporate America right now. Oh yeah. From friends of mine that work in corporate America, they will be reported if they do not kiss that ring. And so when we think in terms of individual freedom versus cultural morality, America's cultural morality has become pagan, and they don't care about the individual freedom of somebody to choose to live a certain lifestyle. They, you can choose to live all sorts of lifestyles. But as a Christian, if you choose to follow Christ, what the Bible says, it's going to come into conflict conflict with this country's cult, new cultural morality. Right, absolutely. Um, so let me ask you this. Do you think there's a difference between absolute freedom and liberty? 
Define absolute freedom. Absolute yeah. freedom Actually, would I'll, be... I'll have you define them both, and then we'll yeah. know for sure. Absolute freedom, um, as you said, you know, if, if a man wants to become a woman, he, woman, he has the freedom to do that. Um, if a man wants to marry another man, he has the freedom to do that. If uh, a woman wants to go into pornography and, 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 and do that with her life, then she has the freedom to do that. If, if someone has, wants the freedom to do drugs or... Right. Um, you know, the freedom to go in whatever job field, you know, absolute freedom as in no holds bar, as long as you're not killing or robbing someone, you can do anything you want. Whereas liberty would be, I think, more of a um, kind of original framing of, of what the, the Constitution was. I think it was John Adams, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, who said that the Constitution is only viable, can only work in a moral and religious society, the liberty where we all respect and have respect for... Um, Biblical, not necessarily biblical, but but standard practices of morality, where where we can all say, hey, there are some practices that are good and some practices that are bad. Hey, marriage should be between a man and a woman, um, and and in a society where you know we don't allow these things that are um, obviously a net negative to society, like pornography, for instance, um, because it takes away the agency of, of a person and, you know, forces them to be addicted and, and a slave to their own addiction. They're free to, to engage in that activity, but they've no longer become free because they're addicted to their addiction. They're, they're slave to their own sin. And so your question is, what again? Uh, is there is there a difference? Is, is my thesis correct? Is there a difference? You're absolutely right. <laughs> <clears throat> so... Uh, as you've described it, this idea of absolute freedom is anything goes. And that should include even uh, people disagreeing with that lifestyle. Because mm -hmm. if there's absolute freedom, then Christians should be allowed to say, hey, I love you, I hate the sin, mm -hmm. I disagree with your lifestyle, without being chastised by society. Liberty, as you have discussed, and here's the thing, everything must be taken in context. And you, it seems like you've made reference, perhaps, to uh, the Constitution and also... Well, you could throw the Declaration of Independence in there, but the Constitution, just like the Bible, we can look at some historical data at the time and look at cultural data, geographical data, and look at all of that to help us better understand what, what was going on at the time so that we can understand what the most proper interpretation should be. Fortunately, for the Constitution, we have something called the Federalist Papers, and the Federalist Papers help to give you that context. And so if you try to look at the U.S. Constitution through today's eyes and throw away the Federalist Papers or throw away original intent, then, then it's a, as, as one theologian R.C. Sproul used to say, it's a wax nose. You can shape into any shape you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And so liberty, in the way that you've described, um, would be closer to what we see in Christian liberty, which then comes right out of Galatians 5, Galatians 5, where uh, it is for freedom that you've been called in Christ. Do not go under the yoke of slavery once again and, and go under the law. So it, and then he says, do not use your liberty as, as a way to gratify your, the sinful nature of the right. flesh. So liberty should include with it that morality. And that morality is defined in the early in the early. Uh, in our forefathers, or the forefathers of America, I'm not going to say they were all Christian, but they were all at least theistic. Mm -hmm. The majority were, and the majority were Christian. And while they did use 
the principles of the Enlightenment and political philosophy of that time, they also were looking at Judeo-Christian ethics. And they, they were not looking at our society and thinking in terms of, hey, we should, anything should go in this society. They were careful. As my father-in-law told me once, he said, you know, when the founding fathers, and, and he's Indian, and he said, the uh, Christian Indian, and he said the founding fathers, when they wrote this, it was majority Christian, and they weren't thinking about uh, Muslims or Buddhists or Hindus or anything like that. And so their context was Christian, and their context was also Church of England. Mm. We don't want to establish a Church of America here. Um, so the original intent is important for the Constitution. And in answering your question, I think I probably am long-winded on this. And I probably, no, you're fine. <laughs> probably answered it. You answered it in your definitions already. So, yeah, there's a, a huge difference. Huge. And so with that difference, um, going back to the original question of is individual freedom more, more important to this country than, than cultural morality um, or... Uh, Depends on how you define that cultural liberty. morality. I would say cultural morality as as correct morality, not as our current okay. cultural morality. Then I will amend what I've said, or I will supplant what I said, <clears throat> because this uh, m cultural morality is as defined with proper morality, then individual freedom mm -hmm. would be more important to this country rather than cultural morality. But I flipped your your question on its head and said, well, the new cultural morality is being defined by the pagans. Yeah. So if we've established that to the country, individual freedom is, is now more important than standards of morality, how can we combat that? How do we amend that? How do we get back on track and use the positions that we've been given, use our callings that we've been given, use the churches um, to push us back on the right track and go back to a more moral society. So, I think in terms of <clears throat> what does the church do? What is what does it say in the in the in the church and in what does it say in the Bible? Contend for the faith in Jude, right? Mm -hmm. Contend for the faith. And a lot of what's written in the Bible in the New Testament with respect to defending the faith is it's de defending the faith, defending the church. What's the role of the elders of the church? They're supposed to teach sound doctrine and protect against unsound doctrine. We get that in the book of Titus. But it's always from the perspective of the church. And so the idea of what about when your country is majority Christian? The danger the church has is to set up a, a, a some sort of theocracy, mm -hmm. right? I, I wanted to make this point earlier. The church has a, a desire to set up a theocracy, but we have no king but Jesus. Right. And so we we cannot set up a theocracy. We we set up a theocracy, it's going to turn into human traditions, and, and we see what, what that has netted all sorts of factions. Um, <clears throat> but with respect of what the church should be doing, continuing the faith within the church itself to keep unsound doctrine out of the church, but now we're going to move that to the perspective of contend for the faith out there amongst the unbelievers. And I think one thing that we could be in, informed of on that would be how did the earliest church contend in that way for the church? And it was apologetics, Christian apologetics, not I'm, I'm so sorry. 
(laughs) (laughs) But a well-reasoned argument for the faith. So you have uh, people like uh, Justin Martyr and Irenaeus. They were they were writing contending for the faith. Irenaeus wrote uh, five books refuting heresies against heresies, and in in that it, it has all of this intellectual defense for the faith. Justin Martyr is writing to, and some of the other early church fathers are writing to actual Roman leaders mm-hmm. and saying, "You guys think we're killing and eating babies? No, th- th- you don't understand what communion is. We're not killing children." We're good citizens. So I think I think the church here here it is. I went to seminary, you know, and I, I'm not I, I teach I, I teach a class, right? I teach a class every week at church. Um I'm not a pastor or uh or anything like that. I'm not full time minister, but I am in that class. I'm I'm the leader, I'm the teacher. Um <clears throat> so the difficulty is that I went to seminary to get to spend you know fifty thousand dollars on something I should have gotten for free mm-hmm. at my church, and those aren't my words that's that's one of the professors at d t s really yeah hmm. he said because it was a uh, a class that Dylan was in, and the teacher was going over this doctrine different doctrines, and he was and, and the student raised his hand and said it. Professor, can you just give me a simple definition for the Trinity? And the professor took his glasses off and shut his book. He said, isn't it a shame that you have to spend all this money to get a degree about things that you should have already learned in church? Biblical knowledge? Uh, I'll throw application in there too, because knowledge puffs up. Mm -hmm. But true biblical knowledge is so lacking in, in most churches because, you know, we can shun the Roman Catholics, right? Right. They're steeped in tradition. Fortunately, we're not on, in our backgrounds, whether it's independent fundamental Baptists or Bible church, whatever it may mm-hmm. be, or Southern Baptists. I don't know if I'm stepping on your toes here. No, you're good. <laughs> but we've we've come under this idea that we must be taught by one person once a week. And so if you get a sermon on Sunday morning and a sermon Sunday night, maybe you go Wednesday night too, uh, to some special thing. And, and that's the extent of what you get. Uh, here, here's something I'm struggling with. I did just finish the book of Galatians in my class. Uh-huh. I took my class through, I did a, a formal introduction, and I did all, the, all five to six chapters of five. I don't know Galatians. <laughs> I need to go back and look. All six chapters of Galatians and... It, it took me seven or eight sessions, okay, and there was a lot in there, but they're, they're just getting 45 minutes a week from me, okay, and, and if, if, if you're just going in there and you're getting 45 minutes, you're not even, we all went to school where you're taking notes and you're taking tests. Hearing is not just enough. You could take notes, too. Taking notes is not enough. Being spoon-fed is not enough. If people knew, if they, if they were beefed up on their knowledge, not just of the Bible, but of history, of chronology, of, of science, 
if they beefed up their knowledge on these things, then they could speak intelligently. Most people are not intelligent. Most people are going to listen to a source that they trust. Like I, I heard... I heard this professor when I was at University of Houston getting my degree in finance. This professor said, uh, with respect to the Bible, that it was it was uh, an act of of evolution that mankind came up to the idea of one God, and that the earliest Jews were worshiping multiple gods, and it wasn't until after the Babylonian captivity that they decided to worship one God. And everyone is, and everybody knows that. He was acting, everything that these professors say, they say everybody knows the Bible's full of all these lies and it's been disproven so many times and that, that's enough for them. Okay, I raised my hand and I said, that is not at all what the Bible teaches. It was one God from the beginning. And you know what he said to me? What? Well, maybe you know the Bible, I don't. But he had this strong opinion that he wanted to use his mouth to talk about. And it was it was ridiculous for him to do so. You know, it's such a scary proposition when you get there. He, he's the teacher, you're the student, exactly. right? Exactly. And, and it happens all the time. You get these people in high-level positions who will say one totally unintelligent thing, but because they have a large podium, because they have the ability to reach numbers and, and scores of people, and because they have, yep. you know, a PhD next to their name or, or whatever, they can say whatever they want without contention because if you disagree with them, you disagree with history, you disagree with science. And no matter what knowledge you've acclaimed through through other avenues, um, whether it be correct or incorrect, there's no arguing with these people who have these platforms. Yep. And it's, it's and they're, they are shoving their their religion or shoving their whatever their morality down our throats. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And when they and, and when we you know um, try and, and make conflict of that when we when we go up against them, it's, it's the, the exact same thing is, is set against us. Well, you're, you're just shoving your religion down our throat. You can't teach um, creation theology in schools because that's shoving your religion down their throats. You can't teach um, God in schools. That's shoving your religion down our throats. You can't, you know, pray in the school. You can't, and I, I'm using the school probably too much here, but the, the point is, is you're, you're shoving your religion down our throat if you, if you have any position in government that, that has a Christian standpoint. If you oppose um, abortion, that's that's shoving your religion down your throat. You know, on and on, all, all these different policies. How do we how do we combat that? <clears throat> we combat it by an intelligent argumentation, by by understanding everything we can in context. And and when the the conflict arises, we have to speak the truth in love. So when somebody does say something, that particular professor, mm -hmm. I exposed him. He said, I don't know the Bible, maybe you do. And then he said, let's move on. I mean, was, what was the classroom reaction to that? They didn't care. It was a freshman class. It was a um, poli-sci 102 or something. Mm -hmm. It was really early on. Gotcha. It was, it was about 300 students in there oh. <laughs> <laughs> at U of H. And, and they were... It's like whatever. They probably didn't care much about what he said, but I heard that kind of garbage enough, and I would always raise my hand. Mm -hmm. And they're not. Here's the thing, Kenton. They're not experts. I sat here. At, we homeschool, and I was teaching my daughter today. We were looking at the Davidic covenant. Mm -hmm. Okay, the Davidic covenant, Second Samuel seven, and Second Samuel seven, of course, is going to lead us into uh, Genesis forty-nine, 
Isaiah 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. And, and the thing is, I'm, I'm showing her, that, and it's going to lead us to Jesus, and I'm talking about things. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go research this. Uh, <clears throat> but here's the thing. I'm well-researched on all of that. And I thought, you know, let's, let's flip the other side. I put on a video that I, I like to refer to of Ben Stein interviewing the scientist Richard Dawkins, mm -hmm. uh, evolutionary biologist or microbiologist or something. And he's written many books and all these things. And he, uh, Ben Stein asked him, now you said some bad things about God. He said, oh, and he, Richard Dawkins said, well, you didn't go far enough to what I said. Let me look it up in my book. And he read his passage. It was all these uh, slanderous things, blasphemous things about God. Uh -huh. Here's the thing. In the things that he said, it was obvious to me that he's never researched these things fully. He, he's just talking out of his head. He's, he's putting it in the context he wants it to be in rather than what the actual context of what God was doing. And he's, he's putting it, he's like, a, like the news or a politician. He's making it look like you did a bad thing when really, no. Yeah, he has that platform. And he sounds to somebody who is learned. Okay, he sounds stupid and foolish. And here's the thing, Kenton, when Christians start doing the same thing, when they're not researched on something and they start spouting it off and they sound stupid, everyone's going to say something about that. Nobody's going to say anything about Richard Dawkins mm -hmm. and everything he said, but they will say it about Christians. So a Christian needs to be, we're called to love the Lord with our mind as well, not just our hearts. And, you know, we see this junk come by uh, on Facebook. People will, will post stuff on Facebook, and then you'll go and you'll, you'll do the research yourself. You don't need Facebook to do it for you. They will, well, selectively. But you can go research it yourself and find, oh, this was dumb. Like, here's a thing. Here's a thing that po was posted several years ago. Um, it was underwater archaeologists discovered skeletons in the Red Sea, and they discovered all sorts of chariot wheels and all that in the Red Sea, underwater archaeologists. And it, it, it was, and people were posting it, Christians were posting it, see, here's the proof. They weren't looking at the article, they were looking at where it came from, or any of that stuff. Okay? And they weren't thinking with their minds. They're just passing along something that is stupid. You know why? It came from a website like The Onion. It was a joke. It was a joke. And they said, I bet Christians will post this and use it as evidence. Underwater archaeologists. Yeah, and they did. And they did. And they did. <clears throat> so we have to stop living into that. We need to be wise and smart, intelligent. If we're going to love the Lord with our, our minds, we need to learn things. We need to have a good argument for, for evolution if you want to. You need to have a good argument for the age of the earth if you want to go that route. You, have, you need to have a good argument for abortion. You need to have a good argument on economics or, or anything else. Which means what, though? What does it mean for the average Christian? Economics? Maybe, maybe you should spend more time studying than fooling around. Not in economics. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should spend more time in God's Word. Spend more time studying these things. Study... Study what they believe. I mean, there's a lot of great logical uh, questions that you can ask people just about 
uh, evolution or about the Big Bang or anything like that, there's, mm-hmm. there's many questions that you can ask and, and certain things that you can find out and put them on the spot. They're always putting us on the spot. We should put them on the spot, but in a nice way. And so you have to be learned. That's how you do it. Absolutely. But only God can change the heart. Absolutely. We can plant, we can water. God's the one that gives the increase. And we know how it's going to end. We know that we're not going to be fully successful, but we don't know when the end is, Kenton. It may be a thousand years from now. It may be tomorrow. It may be before we're done. (laughs) That'd be pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) What a way to go, you know? (laughs) Yeah, this has been a great conversation. Um, So... That culture is so, our, our culture is so adverse to us. Our culture? Mm-hmm. American culture. Oh, America, the Americans. Right. Yes, the Americans. The Americans, not, the... not us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, American culture as a whole, it, when you take it as a whole, it, is so adverse towards Christianity, so hostile, um, maybe a little bit subtle, but very hostile, in, especially in academics and, and yeah. you know, higher education, things like that. Um, in, in media and in, in government, very hostile towards us. And as a result, the culture is, is very amoral, very degenerate now. Um, obviously, you know, we are citizens of America, just as mm-hmm. well as citizens of Rome. And I do want this country to prosper. I do want it to do well. I do care how we stand in the world, and I do want us to um, prosper. Can this country prosper if we, as citizens of this country, are not moral? It's a great question. I think there's a good biblical answer for that. No. (laughs) So I'll I'll call on a few things. One, I'll call on one that I was looking at earlier because I was in the book of Isaiah after looking at the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. And the thing about Israel, northern kingdom of Israel, Mm -hmm. God told them, I'm bringing the Assyrians upon you. From the Assyrians' perspective, they're doing it. Mm-hmm. But from God's perspective, he's bringing them. And he said he's wielding them like an axe. Okay? But from their perspective, they're the ones doing it. So, but God said they are going to turn. And they're going to go beyond what I told them to do. And they're going to become arrogant. And I will in turn... Punish them as I have punished you. God does that sort of thing. He, he, he punishes nations when they get off track like this. Mm-hmm. I'm not a prophet, though, Kenton. I'm not one of those Pat Robertsons. There was a hurricane that hit Haiti. And see, we told you they're evil down there. They, they got what was coming to them. Right. I think, I think we've all got what's coming to us. Praise God for the blood of Jesus who died for our sins. <clears throat> um. But in terms, in terms of America, I'll point to something else about So America could become arrogant like Assyria, but America can also become so degenerate like Gomorrah. And remember, Abraham had that bargaining with, right. with God. I've come to bargain. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, what if there's 50 righteous people? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? And God said, yeah, yeah, if there's that many, I will spare them. Do you see where I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. So with America, it, I don't want it to get to that Sodom and Gomorrah state. Sorry, Sodom is where uh, Lot was living. 
<clears throat> and it, how many were righteous in Sodom? Lot and his family. Lot and his two daughters. I mean, the Bible at least tells that. us righteous Lot. He's called uh -huh. righteous Lot. What is that in First Peter, Second Peter? He, it's somewhere. In there. He calls him righteous Lot. Mm -hmm. So it might have just been one. Yeah. Maybe. And so for the sake of one, but he he got him out of there. So I think uh, America, America, look, we can we can just do it just from an intellectual level. If the military, no, not if. Since the military is becoming woke, uh, we are also becoming woke in a different sense. I'm hearing more than ever Christian patriots who are saying, wait a minute, what is America? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm not such a patriot. No, I've, I've had people tell me, no, I will not let my children serve in this military. No way. As the military becomes more woke, you're going to have fewer people. We have a voluntary military. Mm -hmm. You have fewer people that want to serve. And, and and they'll even be persecuted and kicked out. So if America has just the transgenders or homosexuals running the military, they're not going to be able to field a an effective, of course, the battle belongs to the Lord, but they're not going to be able to field an effective military to combat America's enemies. Right. And as the as jobs, as corporate America, here's the thing that blows my mind. As corporate America starts to shift from their core competency of whatever it is that they're selling, as they shift away from that and look more at, well, what's the social justice? And, and they have these uh, in meetings, like in, in oil and gas, we had these meetings. Safety, we'd have a, a, a safety moment at our mm -hmm. meetings because safety is a big deal in oil and gas. Right. And the thing is, you want to make sure that you're operating safely, even in the office, you want to make sure you're operating safely because... Uh, it's just a culture of safety over there because if you're out in the field and you don't bolt everything down, you can have a blowout. Okay, and, and you, millions of dollars or billions of dollars, look what happened to BP years ago because uh, one of their operators was not safe on one of their offshore rigs, the Deep Horizon. They had this massive blowout, massive oil leak. I think 11 people died. And then it was led to somebody in the Obama administration saying, we're going to put our boot on your neck. And we'll, we'll think about maybe appropriating you oil and gas companies and, and all these sorts of threats. <clears throat> um, but as, as these companies stop focusing on their core competency and start focusing on diversity and inclusiveness, and, and not just the safety moment, but we need to talk about uh, this one company where my friend works. I'm not going to say where, but in this one company, they said you have to have an LGBTQ plus moment. If you don't, we're going to report you. What on earth does that have to do with oil and gas? I mean, just forget about morality. We need, and, and we're going to hire based on that. Meritocracy is an evil thing. No, dude, listen, meritocracy is great. Hey, I'm an economist also. Hmm. Meritocracy is, is great. You want the right person in there, and you want them focused on that. How can America stand if America's companies have stopped focusing on what it is that they actually do and focus instead on being woke? And it would seem that that's just a basic logical progression. It is. But it, it's so absent from our culture today, from corporate America, from school systems, from you know just walking down the street, movies. Yeah, movies. Um, entertainment as far as you go things are, are, are much more focused on what you look like than what you can do and what you can bring to the table yeah and it's a shame
we we've gotten to a point in our culture where diversity is this inherent virtue and it's not and it never has been and never should be um when, not the way they define it right when you when you focus on diversity by itself as as this isolated virtue then you're focusing on that diversity and not on the content of that person's character not on the content of that person's thoughts and and, and ideas and only on what they look like yeah and that's not good <clears throat> or what they, they identify as exactly now diversity can be a great thing when you think in terms of the spirit not that we're going to get into spiritual gifts but mm-hmm. spiritual gifts it says that there in first corinthians 12 there mm-hmm. are diverse gifts and diverse ministries so from a perspective of uh, a team working together a diverse team to get the job done is an important thing right it's like somebody asked me uh, so jeremy uh if, if you were in at going for a job interview today in corporate america and they asked you how have you exhibited diversity so this is one question they ask a lot and i i answered him and i, I got into business mode i was like oh yes absolutely so when i was an economist i got to work with land people I got to work with geophysicists, the geosciences, geologists. I got to work with different engineers, production engineers, reservoir engineers, all sorts of different engineers. And I got to work with other finance people, finance people who were looking at the economics and finance people who were looking at the financial analysis, the accountant side. And all these diverse backgrounds, we, every month, we would come together for the 13th workday meeting and we would have our product and we'd put it forth. And I, I gave that answer and he said, you don't understand the question. That's not diversity. That is inherent white supremacy. Oh. So white supremacy. I was working with uh, people from Venezuela. I was working with Nigerians. I was working with black Americans, white Americans, Hispanic Americans. I, I wasn't white anything. What are you talking about? I was, were they, they defined. Were yeah. they white supremacist Venezuelans? <laughs> yes, they were white supremacists. Okay, okay. White supremacist black Americans? South Americans, yeah. Gotcha. Yes. Cool. All right. Just, <laughs> you know, I mean, I just want to see where he's coming from. Goodness gracious. The white supremacy boogeyman. When they get to decide your context, there is no more argument left. And I don't want it to get, it is getting to that point. So we need to stand firm and speak the truth in love. Yeah, absolutely. So jumping off of that, what can we do? Um, as Christians in the culture individually right now and and we've definitely alluded to a lot um be informed have a good mind have a strong mind make good arguments do it in love um what does the bible say first peter 4 8 and above all things have fervent charity one with another knowing this that charity covers the multitude of sins Mm -hmm. um and and i've taken that as kind of the key verse for for monarch ministries um you know we've got right around 100 people in there around between 15 and 20 years old all from different parts of the country and things like that, who have a genuine love one for another, who who want to see each other grow in, in knowledge and scripture, who want to help each other, and who have developed genuine and good friendships with each other. Um, and I we've seen a lot of improvement in our own lives, for, for several of them, for myself included, and seen a lot of growth in, in our walk with God. And we've really married these ideas of, of fellowship and um, biblical knowledge and a biblical relationship with God by emphasizing the relationships not only with God but with one another, and, and understanding that our relationship starts with God and flows through God, through uh, or from God through us, and help us have that 
helps us to have that fervent charity one to another to grow these things and to, um, you know, eventually, as we learn more in here, be bolder and go out into the into the world around us and, and be better witnesses, be better ambassadors to this country for Christ, better ambassadors to the people we interact with for Christ. Mm-hmm. So what else do you have to add? What else can we do? Um, Can I... Can I plug something? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, with what that professor said, isn't it a shame that you all had to come here and spend fifty thousand plus dollars to to pay for this knowledge when you should have gotten it for free at your church? Mm-hmm. So we we took that idea and we started a layperson seminary, uh, Cypress Discipleship Institute, CDI, and the thing is, we we have several classes. I recommend that people get discipled and that they they do uh, get biblical knowledge. But I would it would be great if if they could. My recommendation is that everybody go to seminary, <laughs> but that's not practical. Right. So a layperson seminary is something that I think they should get involved in, so long as it's sound teaching. You know, there's plenty of seminaries out there. You know, there's plenty of scams out there, right? Absolutely. You know, or, or, you know, if you pay us 1500 bucks, we'll send you a plaque that says you did it. You know? <laughs> but you, you've got to find some means to get yourself educated. You, you've got to learn to read the Bible in context so that, so that you can look at it in the context it was intended and then take it in that way. If, if, if you take the Bible in the right context and you've interpreted it correctly, then your applications for the Bible are going to be the correct applications. Okay? So you've, you've got to, we as a church have got to beef up our knowledge on the Bible itself and on theology, mm-hmm. which you can read the Bible and find all of that out. I think we need to, I think we also need to beef up our knowledge of, of the earliest church, because a lot of times I, I, I feel, div- or I felt growing up, divorced from the earliest church. When I'm talking about the earliest church, I'm talking about the disciples of the apostles mm-hmm. that early, or, uh, or the disciples of the disciples of the apostles. I'm not talking about people that came later and wrote about how many angels can dance on the end of a pen or on the head of a needle. So we've got to beef up our knowledge on the Bible. And I could give you a link to all the videos. We got videos are free. They're on YouTube. Even my my our YouTube page, a two gab two G A B to gather all believers. It used to mean two guys in a Bible. It was me and Dylan, but I I, I didn't I know you changed the, ac- the acronym. <laughs> I well the acronym's the same, but it stands for something different now. But you can go there. We got over 350 videos on there. All of Cypress Discipleship Institute stuff is out there. I think people should go and and get educated on whatever whatever thing you know we talked earlier about earlier about people and their their calling okay if there are plenty of christian Christians that are scientists in the field, I can think of one really big one is Dr. Jim Tour, who is uh, over at Rice University, and he is on the cutting edge of nanotechnology, <clears throat> Jim Tour, and he's a big-time Christian, and he's not quiet about it, okay? He witnesses to people, and then people come to know the Lord, and he sends them off to Chuck Lloyd, my mentor, to be mm-hmm. discipled. 
if everybody's doing the thing that God has called them to do, then they will be plugged in in government. They will be plugged in in corporate America. They'll be plugged in in, in universities. Absolutely. If, if they go there and they excel at what they do, or if somebody just is a, a an amateur astronomer or whatever, <laughs> then they can go and study astronomy and they want to talk to astronomers atheistic astronomers or agnostic astronomers or whatever and have a conversation with them they got to get they got to beef up their knowledge on all this stuff there are so many distractions that pull us away in all these different directions and, and so many addictions that we become slaves to mm-hmm. and it robs us from doing the things that god has called us to do absolutely and we sit there and we get older and fatter and grayer and do nothing when we could be doing great things. We, and, and when we all work together, as here's the true diversity, right? You got somebody over there in the university. You got somebody over there in corporate America. This idiot over here is a real estate investor. That jerk's a realtor. You know, this guy's sacking groceries. If you're in all these levels of society and you're educated, you don't have to go to school. You don't have to go to seminary. But if you're educated, then you can... And not just educated in, in the information that you're getting that you want to argue about, but educated in how to argue as mm-hmm. well. Then you can start to have an impact on society. But this is a man's way of thinking, Kenton. God can use anybody. The, but the the thing is that we're always caricatured as these buffoons who say the dumbest things. Right. It's like the the memes where. The guy's got his fingers plugging his ears and he's closing his eyes so hard and he's saying, uh-huh. I will not look at science. I'm going to continue to believe in God. And, and, and then you see Christians who don't actually know what real faith is and they will define faith in some stupid way. And this is always what's put forth as what a Christian is. We yeah. need to change that buffoonery. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it comes from our side too. I've heard pastors, teachers, you know, people who are in full-time ministry say, um, you know, basically, not, not necessarily in these exact words, but basically, as a pastor, my job is, is more important than what you do as a realtor, is, is more important than what you do as a scientist, as a teacher, and it's absolutely a falsehood. Not even biblical. Not even close. And they'll say, um, you, you get these, these pastors who will get up there and say, well, I'm the man of God. I cannot be argued with. I cannot be um, debated with. What I say is is the truth. And it's absolutely wrong and it's not you know it's not you know the fringe catholicism it's not the weird denomination the fringe roman catholicism right right thank you um (laughs) i I forgot i had to be careful saying catholic around you um you know it's not the the, these people who who we've removed ourselves from it's it's the baptists the southern baptists the methodists you know who want whoever people in in your and my church and it's absolutely wrong a biblical um the pastor is, is just as valuable as the the fifth grade science teacher. Well, what's the role of the pastor? Is to disciple and, and lead people in the church. What does it say in Ephesians 4? Equip the saints mm-hmm. for the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Everyday run-of-the-mill people. And so if, if it's my aspiration to be a pastor, my aspiration and my calling to be a pastor, to be a preacher, to be a leader, is no more or less important than your calling to be a real estate agent. Amen. Period. And so when when we hear these things from other Christians, it's a detriment to our goal in this country to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every yes. creature. And it, it's not right. Right. You're right. It's not right. 
And I've thought that for years. I've thought, <clears throat> I, I've, I've thought that, I've taught that. You're a missionary wherever you are. And mm-hmm. in, in that, that idea of the, the clergy and the laity, the clergy are up high. Mm-hmm. The laity are the everyday people. And, and when you think in those terms... And when you, it, it becomes just like the student and the professor. The professor just said, well, everybody knows the Bible's full of contradictions and God's so bad and, and, and he's already been disproven and an evolution and blah, blah, blah. And the Bible, you know, you got the same thing if, if the pastor is up so high and the pastor says something. What does it say in Acts? Now, uh, Acts, was it 1711? Now the Bereans were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica. They received the scriptures with joy, but they searched, they received what Paul said with joy, but they searched what the scriptures said to see if what Paul said was true. Yeah. They checked up on, if Paul can be checked up on and Luke can write that, God wanted that put in Acts, Mm -hmm. yeah, that means that we should all be checked up on and and the the person at the top should read their Bible and, and say, oh, my job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Absolutely. I mean, imagine if a, if, Think of this, and this is part of our tradition, because we have the one pastor who is overall. Mm-hmm. And um, let's just say that there's a church where there's 500 people and you got the one pastor. Everything's on him. What a bunch of malarkey. That is not the way it's supposed to be. Okay, I'm not, not necessarily talking about church policy here, but... His job isn't to do the work of the ministry. His job is to equip. And uh, 1 verses 500, we start to get to the whole Moses, uh, Jethro, Moses and his, his uh, father-in-law, Jethro, saying, what are you doing, Moses? You're insane. you gotta, you got to get people in place who can handle this, right. this mess. And, and you got to, I think in churches, in churches they need to promote from within instead of hiring like corporate America and hiring somebody from out, who knows where, who doesn't even know whatever city they're going into to come and be here what about the people that are right in front of you start promoting them and then empowering them if they're if they're proven what does it say in in uh first timothy 2 2 or the second timothy 2 2 well whichever one it is it's one of them let's see what's that i said let's see oh um i'll just tell you it's it's, uh the things i have i have taught to you entrust to faithful men yeah. Which was, yeah. Was the second? And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be who should who shall be able to teach others also. Yeah. Faithful men mm-hmm. who can teach. Yeah. And and taking that idea back to First Peter four eight, um, how can we have fervent charity one to one? Or who is more equipped to have fervent charity to the people in the church? Someone who's hired from outside, or someone who has grown up in that church and was learned into that pastor. Somebody's those grown leaders. up. Grown up. Somebody's already plugged in. Absolutely. And, and not to say that someone who comes in can't do that, but someone who, who is already connected to these people, someone who's, who's known these people their whole lives. Oh, but maybe you're arguing, arguing from a man's standpoint. Is there a biblical backing for what you're saying and what I'm saying? Why did Paul send Titus to Crete? Because he was, he was familiar with the area. To appoint, well, not necessarily, but to appoint elders in every city. Mm-hmm. So he had to go and appoint, and appoint leaders in those cities for each city. Not to bring a group of, of people that he had trained in Ephesus to come and teach these Cretans, right? Yeah. That's not how it happened. And when, in Paul's first missionary journey through Galatia, and because it's fresh on my mind, mm-hmm. he went through Galatia and then he appointed leaders in every church. He set up every church with the locals. 
Yeah. That were plugged in. Absolutely. And I already knew the culture. <laughs> I mean, how are you going to go to a place where you're a foreigner and people suspect you? Yeah. It'd be a lot better. I mean, it, I'm not saying something against missionaries who go mm-hmm. somewhere. That's fine. But always those missionaries are building up the church in that area. That, mm-hmm. That's a good thing to, for them to go. Right? I'm not saying any. I, I love missionaries. I, I got a couple of missionaries are teaching in my class this Sunday. They're going to Thailand. Awesome. And boy, God has called them to it. Very good. So yeah, do you have anything else to add? Any other questions, comments, concerns for me? Concerns for you. <laughs> <laughs> questions. Um, <clears throat> I could talk all day and all night on this, these subjects. Absolutely. It's a good subject to talk about. And it's a good thing to, you know, and and I will put, put the links to... Um, 2-2-Gab, their, their YouTube channel, awesome stuff. I was in that class for about a year. Just a, a lot of the learning that I've done about biblical topics, about the ministry, things like that, have, have been under the tutelage of my uncle and my father who who taught there. Right. And it's a very wonderful resource that, that I think should have probably some more notoriety because of how in-depth the, the teaching that he does is. And then there'll also be well, a... Well, that's all up to God. <laughs> <laughs> well, God has definitely used you in a, in a great yeah. way. Um, and there'll also be a link to Monarch Ministries to join that and to come be a part of, of devotionals and lessons with us and and um, to be plugged into to have that, that fervent charity one towards another. So, Uncle Jeremy, thank you for, for sitting down with me and talking about you're these welcome, things. Ken. Thank you for doing this. I'm really very glad you're doing this. Thank you. We need more people like you in utilizing technology like this in order to accomplish this mission that we're talking about today. Absolutely. It's you know, like like we've been talking about the whole world's mission field. Yep. And the, the interconnectivity that we have here. And as a side note, I used to believe, you know, before we, we started doing this with, with Monarch Ministries, I was a very strong believer that people you meet online are, are, you know, people all across the world that you can't really form good relationships with. And through the past eight months or so since we've been doing this, my mind has been completely changed. Just last Sunday, a friend of ours, an, an old staff member on the on the server, um, who who moved down to Austin from from Minnesota, um, brought some friends and and she came to church with us on Sunday, and we all went and saw a movie together that afternoon. We're we're good friends now. It's it's such a wonderful way That's to great. to meet people. We got another guy who who might be moving down here to Houston later on, and you know I might you know go be a roommate with him, and and so the awesome. the resources that that people that that we can find through through things like this are are wonderful and, and God has blessed us in, in a wonderful way and so I, I encourage you if, if you if you find this podcast through you know some other avenue and, and you're curious about it come join um, come join the group and, and be part of conversations with us and we, we'd be happy to have you Amen. and that being said y'all have a wonderful day thank you for listening and we'll see you next time <laughs>